Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc SOAP and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Why don't we pray and press in together, church? Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that we get to press into your word, that, Lord, you gave us guidelines, you gave us comfort, you gave us instructions through your word, and that, God, whenever we're going through something in a season, in a time, uh, whenever we're facing something that we just simply don't have the answer or solution to, Lord, we know we can look to your word and we could find our situation there. So, Holy Spirit, I just pray, help us find you inside of your word Help us find us inside of your word. And Holy Spirit, I just pray, divinely reveal this word to us today. I just pray you would find good soil inside of our hearts today, Holy Spirit, so that the seed of the word of God would grow. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Come on. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. So, so excited you're here with us today. Whether you are with us at 6.06 a.m. or whether you are watching on a podcast later on or if you are on YouTube, we're so happy you're joining us today just working on your own discipleship. I believe that God honors the process of discipleship and saying yes to being made into the image of God. So why don't we press into the text together? I hope you're ready because I definitely am. Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting could this be? Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Wow. I am normally accustomed to reading approximately 56 verses every time we get together. This is really exciting because I usually spend my first eight to 10 minutes just reading verses. I'm happy that we get to just unpack text today. And this is a jam packed, like short little verses, short little passage of scripture. So we're going to observe some of the text and then we're going to spend a little bit of time applying it as we look at it. So let's break it down. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. So important to kind of note because I say this, I'm probably a broken record. If if you guys don't have this like written in notes every time I say soap, uh, I'm going to say right at this time, every text has to be held in context, right? So what's the context behind the text? So what is the area surrounding the word of God? Whenever we read the Bible, we have to hold the verses that we're reading in weight 
and ne parallel next to every other verse inside of the Bible. This way we don't get confused. This way we don't do things outside of the character and nature of God, because some things could be really, really confusing. But whenever we look at the entire word of God next to one another, we can go and see that things actually make a little bit more sense and the context explains more details. So in the sixth month, what the text is talking about is Mary. We all know Mary from the Christmas story. Her cousin named Elizabeth actually had a visitor. This is the angel of Gabriel come to her and uh, or excuse me, not the angel of Gabriel, but uh, she was six months pregnant at this point. So when it's saying in the sixth month, it's talking about her cousin's pregnancy being six months along by the time the angel Gabriel visited Mary. So Mary, or uh, excuse me, Elizabeth, if you don't know this little fun Bible fact for you, uh, Elizabeth was pregnant with a gentleman named John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. So when we look through the text, and perhaps you're familiar with J my boy JTB's story, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, the forerunner of his ministry. What he did was he came down onto the earth, started preaching a baptism of repentance, baptizing people in water, which was kind of funky. Like a few different like religions at the time had baptisms, but as far as it touching the Jewish world and now our Christian world, like Judeo-Christians, it was something a little bit different. So here's this guy showing up on the scene saying, you have to repent from your sins, turn away from the things that your flesh want to do, turn towards God. And in that process, I'm going to dunk you in some water. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have baptisms coming up this Sunday. Super excited for them. I'll be in the water. Whoever uh, of us are actually getting baptized coming up this Sunday, I'll be in the water with you. Um, but this baptism was meant to symbolize something. The passing away of an old life, my old self getting left under the water, coming up out of the water, and my new self is the one that comes up. So you see right here, it is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy that Gabriel is coming to meet, uh, meet Mary. This just shows me that God's plan is so well orchestrated and so detailed, because if there was going to be a forerunner to Jesus, very obviously this forerunner would have to come first, correct? So God divinely orchestrated that John the Baptist, when he would turn 30 years old, which was the age necessary to be a, uh, a priest, so this was God validating John the Baptist's ministry, God sent and had Elizabeth pregnant six months before Mary was. This way, there will be six months of foundation laid through the ministry of John the Baptist before Mary would even be pregnant or Jesus would be on the scene. So right here, this angel, <coughs> pardon me, this angel Gabriel finds himself inside of Galilee uh, in this town called, uh, town called Galilee in Nazareth, and he appears to Mary. You see, this is almost like a taboo topic on its own, because this is a virgin engaged to a guy, and uh, this guy, Joseph, is of the house of David. You see, now Mary is probably about 14, 15 years old at this point. You see, she wasn't, uh, you know, pushing 25, 28. She was, of course, excited to be married, but when you have an angel appearing to you, it means business. We can see angels appearing all throughout scripture. If you look throughout the Bible, we can see Gabriel showing up in the book of Daniel, carrying messages to people, letting them know what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, and I want to encourage you in something today, because as we know throughout the text of scripture, that angels show up on the scene to encourage, 
Uh, even Jesus was being encouraged by angelic hosts before the cross. We could see angels showing up carrying messages. We could see angels showing up fighting battles on our behalf. Even Daniel chapter 10, uh, there's a fight going on and the angels showed up to fight the fight. Uh, even when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he makes mention that, don't you know, I could call 12,000 legions of angels to come to my own defense. You see, angels have roles and assignments. And just because we have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean there aren't angelic hosts around us, assisting us and aiding us. So I'm saying this to encourage you this morning, because whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, we know that the Christmas season could be uh, a very joyful season, but for some of us, it could be a very stressful season because we find ourselves at the dining room table at Christmas dinner, noticing that empty seat one year again. Or maybe it's the first time you're noticing that empty seat after a family member passed. And here, I want to encourage you that there are angelic hosts surrounding you avidly to strengthen you, to fight your battle on your behalf. So right here... We have the angel Gabriel showing up on the scene. And what he says to Mary is kind of crazy in nature in verse 28. You see, the angel shows up and he says, greetings, favor woman. Woman, the Lord is with you. You see, this phrase, this thing that he said to her, he kind of shows up and just gives her an identity statement immediately. Favored woman, God is with you. Verse 29 she has a response to this. She was deeply troubled by the statement. If you're reading the NIV, it should say deeply troubled by the greeting, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. You see, uh, anytime an angel shows up on the scene, if you're familiar with possibly the prophets inside of the Old Testament, uh, they have a weird physical nature. But right here, Mary isn't even concerned necessarily with this physical nature, but more of the statement being made. And if you're anything like me, whenever I'm looking at the text, whenever I'm reading the Bible, uh, I am a very inquisitive person. I ask why about 20 times. <laughs> I am like that toddler walking around saying, why, why, why? Why was Mary deeply troubled by the statement that Gabriel was making? It's important to know during that time period that uh, women, especially young women, necessarily weren't viewed as, uh, it's going to sound terrible, but on the same spot or uh, status as men. Uh, this is why Jesus was really the game changer to culture and the game changer to mankind, because Jesus would show up on the scene and he'll be the one letting people know, hey, uh, women are actually allowed inside of the presence of God. It's not just men come in and bring back to them. So he would give them an equal footing. And here's an angel appearing to her saying, hey, you're favored. The Lord is with you. But Mary had a few things that she accepted as her identity that God was fixing right now. You see, Mary was young. Like I said, she was about 14, 15 years old. Mary was not a rich woman. It's like she was coming out of Galilee, uh, uh, a town in Galilee called Nazareth. So the town Nazareth was known for lazy people, people who didn't want to work. Uh, for the most part, they had a pretty sa uh, sour attitude. Uh, they were ones that just didn't accomplish tasks. So she had these things stacked up against her. You see, and all these characteristics of that day would consider uh, make people consider you as someone not being able to be used for something big inside of the kingdom of God. So Mary knew who she was. She knew her situation. She knew uh, everything, let's say, about herself, 
But yet here's this angel on the scene declaring a message from God. So she knows her current reality, but God is confronting her current reality, not with what she sees, but with what he sees. And he says, greetings, favored woman. God is with you. She gets troubled by this. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. This right here would change Mary's world. Because Mary would go from feeling insignificant to very significant by the calling that was being placed on her life. Right here is where the son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, is being prophesied to come out of a virgin birth. You see, this is something that is really taboo, especially in that time period, because I couldn't even imagine the emotions that Mary's feeling and the thoughts that are going through her head. I wonder if her first thought was, uh, and maybe this might confront some of us because it confronts me, if her first thought was, awesome, God, I can't wait to obey this assignment you're putting on my life. That would not be my first thought, if I could be honest. My first thought would be, I'm 14, engaged, and I'm about to be pregnant. You are going to land me with no husband, God. <laughs> like, Lord, don't you know my situation? Because at this point, Mary had yet to be uh, married to Joseph, which meant they haven't gone through the marital rituals, if you kind of hear what I'm saying. So how could Mary, being a virgin, give birth? This is only the miracles of God. Only God could pull through in this way. And you see, I believe that the Lord did this almost as a metaphor to each and every one of us, because Jesus would have an earthly father named Joseph, but it would not be his true father. It would be his heavenly father, showing how a son, a child, a daughter should rely on their dad. And this would bring significance to mankind of being children of God. Now, Mary right here is being said, do not uh, being told, do not worry. You'll conceive, you'll give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. I think this is so special. The promise and prophecy that Jesus is bringing or, or, or that Gabriel is bringing to Mary right now on what her son Jesus would do. So. I want to look a little bit at one of these last verses, verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So some of us, uh, depending on where you're at in life, what you have going on right now, you know, I always find, and it's going to sound so cliche, if you've been around church any period of time, you've always heard this phrase at some point, seasons, right? It, like it drives me crazy whenever I hear the word, but I still haven't found anything that like correlates well, right? I'm in a season right now. I, I'm in a season of waiting for God. I'm in a season of hanging on, right? Uh, it's it, whatever season I'm in, a wilderness season, maybe for some of us. Uh, uh, but right here, we see that God is dictating that the season will go forever when it concerns the kingdom of God and his throne. You see, at this time period, there were people waiting, 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 waiting desperately for the Messiah to come on the scene. You see, the Jewish people, uh, they were not hanging out, uh, just kind of getting stuff done. They were always having their eyes waiting for this Messiah. At this point in history, 
the people of God have been waiting about 400 years uh, around there during the, what we call the silent period by the time that they were uh, starting to receive messages from God again, there was a 400 year period that went by where they were uh, had where they had no prophet. They were just trying to figure it out. They were using the law, the Old Testament, putting it together, following the text the best they could. But some people felt as though that the uh, that the Lord had taken a step back from His people and was getting ready to do something new. Others felt the opposite. Others felt as though that there was a faithfulness that we just had to hold on and the Messiah would be coming soon to free them from the Roman Empire and Roman oppression. And they were waiting for Jesus, to, uh, the Messiah, to show up on the scene and free them from the chains of civil bondage, free them from the chains of a government. But what God was looking to do was not free them from the chains of an earthly government, but free them from the chains of a spiritual government that had been holding on to them and give them a new kingdom to live by. So I want to share this because in their waiting season, their waiting could have gone very long and could have been very rough, but it matters how you wait. For our note takers, I want to like put this, write it somewhere, put it in your mind, put it in your heart. It matters how you wait. You see, the people, the Jewish people have been waiting at this point, again, in silence for 400 years. It was not a short period of time. I want us to note that none of us have waited 400 years for anything, <laughs> right? So during their waiting season, they have done a lot. They had uh, uh, they had built synagogues. They had made new religious principles, trying to apply the word the best they can. But they were being guided by their own understanding and not the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit at this point. But they were in a season of waiting. And I feel as though a lot of us and some of us could find ourselves in seasons of waiting throughout our lives. We may be waiting for that miracle to finally come through, right? We may be waiting for that loved one to finally call the name of the Lord. We may be waiting for God to pull through. We may be waiting for God to provide. We may be drowning in bills, working as hard as we can, two, three jobs, trying to make Christmas happen. And we are waiting for God to show up. Just as the Old Testament says, Jehovah Perazim, the God of our breakthrough, waiting for the breakthrough. But church, I want to tell you something today. It matters how you wait, because if we wait with a bad attitude inside of our heart, we're not gleaning from the purpose of waiting. God had them waiting for 400 years in silence because once the Lord would speak. And once his words would start to show back up on the earth again in a fresh way, not a new way, but a fresh way, and there would be a refreshing coming to people, it was meant to be this excitement and electricity inside of the air. But because the people had not waited correctly when Jesus showed up on the scene, instead they said, crucify him, blasphemy, who is this person doing work in the uh, name and power of demons rather than recognizing the power of God in front of them? It matters how you wait. And I view a lot of waiting like this. Uh, they don't, I haven't seen one of these in a long time, but I remember these from when I was a kid. How many of us remember those doors at grocery stores, uh, shopping malls and stuff like that, that used to have to stand on the mat and the pressure would open the sliding doors. Does anyone remember those? Because I remember them. The main reason I remember these doors 
was because I was a really tiny kid. And when I was four and five years old, I would stand on these mats and jump over and over again, trying to get these doors to open. It would drive me insane. And every time I walk up, <coughs> excuse me, I found myself standing on the mat, waiting for someone else to come so I could get inside of a store. And uh, I was the kid that ran. Uh, I, I don't know how you were. I don't know how your kids are. But I was the one when we were walking up to a store, I would sprint to the front doors and then I would turn around and wait for my parents. Where was I going? Who knows? But I was there first. <laughs> uh, but I'd stand on the mat waiting for someone to show up and the doors would never open. And sometimes I feel like this is us when we're waiting. And if it's you today, please let me know. Let me know I'm not alone because I wait like this a lot too. So I get to a door waiting for God to open a door for me. And I'm standing on the mat, jumping up and down, trying to apply the pressure to get it done myself. And I'm saying, God, I'm like, I know you want me in the store. I know you want me in the room, but God, I'm just waiting for this door to open. Now, you see, here's where it gets really interesting, because my dad would always be the one to come up next to me and say, son, are you ready for it to open? Stand on the mat with me and the doors would open. You see, this is the game changer of the season of waiting, because here, Mary and the people of God are sitting on the mat, staring at the door. Lord, we know the Messiah is coming. God, we have been waiting for a long time for him to get here. It's been 400 years of silence, and we know the promise of the Messiah is coming. And as they're standing on the mat waiting for the door to open, here comes the angelic hosts around the people of God, around Mary, stand on the mat with her for the door to open to enter into a season of salvation. This is a powerful thing, church. Because you and I get the promise of eternal life because moments like this of waiting well. And you and I have to wait in different seasons of our life. And what I want to encourage you is if you're in a season of waiting right now, which you may be, you might be staring at the door. You might be like me, jumping up and down, just trying to apply enough pressure, hoping that maybe you can even break it open, right? And staring at the door saying, when will this thing open? Here's our job as the church to link arm in arm and stand on the mat together. To link arm in arm and petition to a God, Lord, we know you want us inside of this door, but we're going to wait well until you open it. Until the angelic hosts come and stand on the mat with us, open the door so we can walk into the promises and the rooms that God wants us to walk into. This is so powerful because this is the season of salvation that God was calling his people to. Mary, at this point in her life, had known nothing but, excuse me, inability had known nothing but insignificance and uh, really thought maybe perhaps her life would be insignificant on its own. She was marrying a carpenter. She uh, hopefully, God willing, would give birth to a child at some point, which would give wom women their womanhood. And here she was before the season she even thought she'd find herself in, face to face with an angel saying, do not be afraid. You found favor with God. You're going to conceive and give birth to a son. You're going to call him Jesus. And this Jesus would be the savior of the world. You and I get to call in the name of Jesus, get to have a relationship with the father because of a moment like this. But I imagine Mary went through a significant amount of ridicule before they'd ever find the, the, themselves there. Mary, like I shared earlier, 14-year-old girl, poor, female out of Nazareth, 
nothing really kind of going for her on the social status side. And I want to sow this into you, hopefully, because here's the angel saying, hey, you are blessed and highly favored. And Mary felt troubled by this when she's hearing it because she didn't feel blessed and highly favored in the moment. Yet, even as the word of God is coming to her that she's going to give birth to Jesus, her favor was not going to equal success. Or I should say earthly success. Because the favor she'll be receiving is a favor with God, but not a favor with man at this moment. The people would have to ridicule her. The murmurs around town. Imagine when she would walk through market with her baby bump and no ring on her finger. Could you imagine what would be going through her mind as she's just trying to uh, uh, go about her daily functions, washing her clothes, correct? When she's going around and the people look at her, oh, that's that woman that cheated on Joseph. Oh, can, I heard that he's still marrying her. The gossip and slander around town. You see, she found favor with God, but she'd be, be ridiculed by people. She'd be ridiculed by her peers, probably her own family, and even her own friends. The rejection that she would face so that you and I could be accepted into the kingdom of God. I give Mary props because Mary knew how to serve it well and do it well. Because she kept the promise of what God was saying to her on the forefront of her mind. What it was the promise? You will give birth to a son. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. You see, this was the statement, the prophetic statement being made over Jesus. And I believe this is a statement for all of us to carry into our every single day. We may not feel great. We may feel insignificant. We might be rejected by our peers. You might be dreading going into work today because you know that your coworkers are going to murmur, gossip, slander. As soon as you walk by with the saying good morning, with a smile on your face, they're going to call you crazy. Some of them might be thinking, oh, my gosh, I hope they don't drop off another Christmas four by four on my desk again. It is the third one that they've dropped off because they keep on inviting me to this crazy church called Fusion. And everybody said, amen. <laughs> right. And your coworkers could be sitting there. I cannot I can't even stand this person. Yeah, they're pleasant, but they won't stop. Here is the promise that I believe we should declare over ourselves, our workplaces, our families. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. God, you will be called great inside of my family. You will be called great inside of my workplace. God, they may not know you yet, but God, they're going to know you and they're going to call you great every single day. Church, I encourage you to pray and press in. In, these, in this short little passage that we just talked about today, where the Virgin Mary has an angel show up, speak these crazy words to her that had her feeling troubled when she heard it. These words would bring encouragement that she would go into a season of waiting, watching her God show up on her behalf. And you may not see God showing up on your behalf right now, but it's time to stand on the pressure plates of those doors and say, God, you will be made great inside of my life. You'll be made great everywhere you go. And where I set my foot, God, you are coming with me. Because in the same way the angel spoke to her, 
Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. I'm a favored child of God, and the Lord is with me. The greatest promise of all of Scripture is that God is with you. If you're facing a circumstance and a situation right now that you have no idea how you're going to get through it, I want to encourage you with this great promise. The promise that was made to Joshua so many times before he stepped into the promised land. God is with you. Everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit is accessible to you. And he dwells inside of you, has made a home inside of your heart. So that you can look to him, call on his name and say, be made great inside of the situation. Be made great inside of my family. Be made great inside of my workplace. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, church. I believe this is the time, a season of waiting for us and a season of linking arms to arm to arm and say, God, it's time to open the next door so we could see a season of salvation ahead of us, because that was the season that the people were walking into and they didn't even know it yet. Amen. All right, come on, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, <coughs> you call us blessed and highly favored. God, you look at us, and even though we may feel insignificant, even though we may feel as though the deck is stacked against us, even though we may deal with imposter syndrome, not knowing who we are, who you've called us to be, but Lord, you're still with us here and now today. So God, I thank you for your presence in our lives. Lord, I thank you that you have some of us in seasons of waiting, just hanging on, linking arm in arm, just waiting for the doors to open. Holy Spirit, I just pray that your presence and that angelic hosts would gather around your church so that doors would open for salvation. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives and hearts of people. And Holy Spirit, I just pray, help us be faithful to the season of waiting because it matters how you wait. God, I thank you for everything you're doing. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, church. So grateful for each and every one of you. I want to encourage you in something very, very shortly, just very quickly. Uh, the Christmas season is a great season for evangelism. This is the time to invite people to church. People statistically are more, uh, uh, I would say, they lean towards saying yes to an invite from church than saying no during the Christmas season. Invite your friends, invite your family. We have so many great services happy in Fusion at Cumberland County. We have the 6 p.m. on December 23rd and 9.30 and 11 a.m. on December 24th at EHT. I know we have two services on the 23rd and then three services on the 24th. These are all amazing opportunities to get your friends and family into church to have them hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus, so that we can see that season of salvation we just talked about come about inside of their lives. Because I have a feeling so many of us right here, right now, are waiting. This is our season of waiting of God. I, I want to see that parent, that spouse, that child, that aunt, that uncle, that niece, that nephew, that friend, that coworker, finally call on your name and you be great inside of their lives. The Christmas season is the best opportunity for it. So be sure, invite them to church. Let's see them call on the name of Jesus together so that here's the best part. Whenever people wait in a season of waiting together and we're waiting for that door to open, we all get to celebrate together when it happens. So come on, we want to celebrate together as a church when that person you have been praying for calls on the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, come on. We got so many incredible things this Christmas season. Church, I love you. Have an incredible Thursday.